This is a fourth hand production. Story in the news today. You believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental I don't know, know. planes that they're building? Police in Española are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. There's this weird animal-like creature that was shot, wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. And welcome, everybody, to Strange Uncle Season 4 Finale. I'm Shane. I'm John. I'm half dead. <laughs> yeah, we're we're a little off schedule uh, for this last episode, for sure. Um, first of all, I'm going to apologize to listeners. So I am nursing a cold, and so if I mute myself every now and again, it's because I am coughing. I'm going to try to make it as easy as I can <laughs> through everybody. But we had to reschedule this just because of that. It's just been a topsy. And then with moving on top of that, it's, you know, ah, fuck, it's been great. But anyway, how uh, how are you guys doing on your neck of the woods Oh, I'm nursing a hangover, <laughs> courtesy of uh, Patreon member Josh Asher. Happy birthday, dude. Uh, shout out to my cracked out uh, Toby McGuire lookalike friend. <laughs> happy birthday, Josh. Yeah, happy birthday, man. Love you. That's cool. Good. Uh, well, hopefully it was celebrated good. Hopefully he had a good one. You guys didn't do anything uh, I wouldn't do, which isn't a very long list. So No, I actually was very responsible. I don't know how I'm hungover. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. I, yeah I, that's that's such bullshit. Like sometimes after work, I'll have like a couple beers and then I'll wake up and I'm just fucking hung over. I'm like, this is wait I a didn't minute. even do anything. I'm an adult and I still yeah, have I drink a shitload of water, <laughs> some Pedialyte, some other Pedialyte like stuff and uh, took some activated charcoal tablets. Damn. Oh my God, I dude. I think I've ever gone to those lengths. And I only drank like a beer an hour. <laughs> like i was planning on driving so i was like being very very responsible i don't know how yeah. i ended up being feeling like this but you know weird truck meet me such is life yeah. uh, i think we're just uh getting old and decrepit you yeah. shut your mouth yeah don't jinx <laughs> us too so it's like vegas you know they got those places where you can they dehydrate or they rehydrate you with the bags and the i'm like yeah. god damn you i've always wanted to try that i did too but I, I do and I don't, so I'm kind of on the fence with the whole thing because if I want it's to try awesome. it, that means... Dude, when I'm, really? when I'm hungover, do anything to me that will solve it. Well, fair enough. <laughs> fair I enough. mean, it's expensive as fuck, but yeah. it's awesome. They have, they have uh, they'll come to your house here, but it's like, usually you got to schedule it out, so... Um, yeah, I don't have that kind of money. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't have $200 to uh, fix a mistake I made last night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> hangover fuck you money. To keep around. the irresponsibility rolling into the next day. <clears throat> right. Yeah, I mean, I guess just more beers have you fix that one yeah. at least yeah. more cheaply anyway. Too funny. Responsible well, life uh, advice here, guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hopefully you're <laughs> yeah. tuning in. <laughs> yeah, if you're looking for uh, responsible life advice, um, yeah. look no further. Yeah, yeah. Your one-stop shop is, is right here, folks. So anyway, um, as I said at the very beginning, this actually is the season finale. So boys, God, we made it through season four with uh, minimal scratches and dents, I think. Yeah. Say, yeah, we did it. Yeah, had some really good guests on, good interviews, I had some good topics, uh, so we are going to take a little bit of a sabbatical, So with uh, mainly because of my move, so we'll be off for a few weeks, but we actually are going to do some replay, so we will have something in those in the spots, again, drops every Sunday uh, at 3 a.m., mind you, and <clears throat> so we're going to bring up some old interviews of some just great people we had on, good guests, and so if you're like me, you know, if I find a new podcast, I might go back two or three, but I don't go back past that because I don't, I don't have the time, so maybe it's new to you guys, hopefully, but we'll have something there to fill that pocket. So uh, if anybody wants to rehear something or, hey, you guys did a great episode, I think new listeners would like this, such and such, email us at strangeuncles.gmail.com. Let us know. We've had some good ones on there. Um, and then we will kick the pig back open in June, I think, right? First, second week of June time frame. 
Something like that. Yeah, yeah that sounds that sounds we'll, like we'll what look, we talked about. I think. Yeah, we'll look at the calendar later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no need to worry about it now. We're not. This isn't over, but it might, you know, have a few days off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. As he sucks down Pedialyte. I, oh, God, if you listeners would see on Zoom. Too funny. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, with that being said, this is our final episode, and we decided to take a recommendation from a few Patreon members. So we put out there about, you know, what do you guys want to hear a topic that we really haven't covered yet? And one that we all wanted to do, which was disappearances. So that's what we're going to discuss. But we're going to be unique with this thing. There's different aspects to disappearances and, uh, you know, different ways to look at it. You know, it's some things you do with history. Some there, there's like, you know, the Roanoke mystery, for example, is a good one. Um, and then there's the modern day disappearances. You know, people go away every single day and nobody knows where they go. And some of it is awful and it's man caused. And some of it is just weird and not explained. So. I think that's the the route we're going to take on this, guys. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, we're all going to kind of take uh, different, uh, I don't know, forms of disappearances. And, uh, yeah, we'll each have our own little take on it. And, and roll from there for sure. And then we'll have uh, chats back and forth, too, because, you know, it's all interesting. But I'm going to go ahead and take uh, – I'll be the first one up to bat here. Uh, this one is actually pulled from history, and it was something I stumbled on a few years ago. I actually did a write-up on it. Um, very, There's different aspects of the story. I'm not going to tell you that time traveling is involved, involved, but there is a possibility time traveling is involved. Don't know. It's just, but it's really unique and it's really cool. Uh, so if you guys want to kick it off, we'll uh, we'll roll into mine first. Let's, Let's do it. party. All right. So this is a direct quote from a one Enrico Fermi. In regards to this Italian-born enigma that we all talk about, and this is what my write-up is about, is this Italian-born a scientist. He says, quote, there are several categories of scientists in the world. Those of second or third rank that do their best but don't get very far. Then there is a first rank, those who make important discoveries, fundamental scientific progress. But there are the geniuses like Galileo and Newton. He was one of these. And who he was discussing was Italian-born scientist by the name of Ettore Majorana. Uh, and just for note, too, I'm going to call him Ed because I'm not going to say that every single time his name comes up. I think it's just easier. Fair. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, born in Catania, Sicily in 1906, uh, Ed, he seemed to be one step ahead from those right from the day one, actually. So as luck would have it, there were other members of his family that seemed gifted as well. He had an uncle by the name of Coriano, who was a well-known physicist uh, as well, um, but he never really reached the same fame as his nephew. He was known as a math guru at a very young age and actually joined Enrico Fermi's team, which from the quote above, if you guys remember, at a very young age, and in 1923 began studying engineering. He soon realized that engineering wasn't quite his niche, so he switched to physics and from there would plant his foot firmly into being one of the most well-known theoretical physicists of our lifetime. Now, with that being said, I'm going to ask you guys, does that name, Atora Marger, has that popped up on, on your guys' radar in any way, shape, or form? No, in fact, no. when you first started, I thought that you were going to be talking about Enrico Fermi, and I was like, I didn't know this. Yeah, know that's all about that, dude. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Enrico Fermi disappeared? I had no idea. <laughs> Just screwed, screwed you completely up on that one, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I've thing. never heard of this clown. Who is he? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, Fermi I knew, but not this guy. So pretty amazing. So anyway, we're going to continue here. So uh, 1928, he published his first paper in regard to atomic spectroscopy. Uh, which added to the groundwork mm. that was previously done by Fermi. So, by the way, real quick note on that. Um, I guess we should actually kind of define what atomic spectroscop- uh, what is spectroscopy was. Spectroscopy. Spe- spectroscopy. Colonoscopy. Let's just literally say never heard that word in my life. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's a big word. Um, and why this kind of matters. So, this is a definition of that science. It's a determination of elemental composition by its electromagnetic or mass spectrum. So that went over my head a bit, but I'm going to lay it down for all of us here. Uh, It's basically how much electromagnetic radiation stuff is sucked into and spit out by an atom. General, right? So it's how an atom does that, what it takes, what it can bring out. Um, This kind of research is a piece of the large pie in studying nuclear energy and how it all works, which as much as we have learned already, we still are really unraveling the whole mysteries of the nuclear theory, trying to make it safe and all this stuff. But again, keep in mind, you know, this is back in like 1928. um, So, you know, kind of ahead of his time with this whole thing. So Mm -hmm. 
Uh, his work continued along the same vein as he realized, uh, released, sorry, and published papers on auto-ionization in the atomic spectrum, as well as papers on subjects such as geophysics, electrical engineering, mathematics, and relativity. Suffice to say, this was a man, just genius. I mean, talk about Einstein. He was the Italian version of it for sure. Uh, in 1933, he left Rome and traveling on a grant from the National Research Council, he traveled to Leipzig, Germany, where he met, and this name might ring a bell for you guys, let me know, uh, the infamous Warner Heisenberg, who was also a theoretical physicist and most famous for pioneering the theory of quantum mechanics. But do you guys know who? what else Warner Heisenberg turned out to be? Probably a Nazi. Yeah, Nazi. Bing, bing. <laughs> you got it. So he joined the Nazi party. So, you know, despite his, uh, that's one thing that <laughs> fucking Nazis did well is they had great scientists for sure. So anyway, <clears throat> the Nazi party had already came into power in Germany in this timeline. And after studying with Warner Heisenberg on the theory of a nucleus, he then traveled to Copenhagen, where he worked with other scientists such as Niels Bohr, uh, who also worked on the ideal of quantum mechanics and atomic structure. In the fall of the same year, he returned to Rome in shitty health and mental exhaustion and turned into somewhat of a recluse where he was rarely seen and pretty much tuned out everybody, including his family. Like the guy. Weird what hanging out with Nazis will do to you. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're not exactly the chipper folk, are they? So it never really says, and I try to research like why he got to that point. You know, I don't know if it was burnout from what he was studying, the people he was studying with, the effects of fucking you know, skipping with a Nazi. I don't know. I don't know. For whatever reason, the guy just absolutely, everything broke down for him. So, And it actually took uh, almost four years. He hmm. stayed reclusive for that amount of time. Didn't publish many papers, uh, but he did manage somehow to become a full-fledged professor at a university of Naples uh, without even taking a test because just off his notoriety, or notoriety they knew him. And so he just wrote in, and they said, we'd be more than happy to have you. And so, you know, that's there's that story. Uh, mm -hmm. One of his last papers was based on electrons and positrons, and some of his study on this was put into practice in 2012 and actually has helped us get to where we are today with quantum computing, believe it or not. Um, and just to wrap up this man's work in nuclear theory as a whole, uh, he was directly involved in theories that work to this day and was a key contributor to everything from discovering gamma rays to working with neutrino masses. Uh, personally, just amazing. And that's a short list of everything he accomplished. It was so much more. Um, but this is where it gets weird. So we're going to kind of go down the rabbit hole a little bit on the rest of this stuff. Uh, quote from Atora here. I made a decision that has become unavoidable. There isn't a bit of selfishness in it, but I realize what trouble my sudden disappearance will cause you and the students. For this as well, I beg your forgiveness, but especially for betraying the trust, the sincere friendship, and the sympathy you gave me over the past months. I ask you to remember me to all those I learned and appreciate in your institute, especially Skewity. Uh, I will keep a fond memory of them all, or at least until 11 p.m. tonight, possibly later too. Uh, Skewity actually was one of the people that he was working on really close while he was go in Naples being a, become a professor. So they, they person that he's gotten close with in, in his life frame. So the problem with that is this. That was the last thing written by the acclaimed theoretical physicist uh, Etura Majorana. On March 25th, 1938, he sent the above letter to Antonio Corelli, who was the director of the Naples Physics Institute. He withdrew all of his money from his bank account and boarded a ship that was heading from Naples to Palomaramo, uh, where it was said that he was visiting a longtime friend, Emilio Sigre. He boarded the boat in Palomaramo to return to Naples, but would never set foot in Naples whatsoever. He disappeared without a trace before the ship reached the shores. So investigations were done, looking for his body or any trace of him, but none was found. Not to despite the fact that Emilio, the friend that he was supposedly traveled to Palmero to see, was proven to be in California at the time. So that's weird because you would think that somebody, you know, to play out someone who's 32 years young and at that age had a lifetime of achievements, everything under his belt that most of us could dream of, uh, that he would know that his buddy was where he was supposed to be for whatever reason. But it continues. So the letter itself is odd. It doesn't just read like, you know, peace, I'm out type thing, but more of no one will ever see me again ever. Like, I'm out. You know, why would you write a letter like that and kind of, I know, to me, it's it's it, it's almost like a suicide letter. Hey, sorry, mm -hmm. everybody. Right? I'm, I'm done. Yeah. You know, I don't know how else you could see it. 
But um, added the fact of him withdrawing all of his money, like he was just going to disappear in history, never to be seen again. Or was he seen again? So this is what's kind of cool. This is a spin up here. Theories on his disappearance are sorted. They range from suicide or escaping to Argentina to theories of him being murdered or just simply becoming a beggar to simplify his life. His family shares the belief that he simply disappeared because he foresaw the research of the atomic energy leading to atomic weapons and he couldn't bear to be part of that, which maybe that was true. Makes um, sense. It does. You know, I mean, God, especially, like I said, you go study with the Nazi and then you bounce around here. Maybe you got ethics and, you know, and it's really wearing on you. Yeah. You can see the writing on the wall and you just didn't yeah. want to yeah, in it. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. Sure. For sure. Um, he was a devout Catholic and his family stated that there was no way he would have ended his life, according to them, because that's not what Catholics do. They don't believe in suicide. So there was a supposed just letter. Just molesting. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Let's, let's not go down that, that road. <laughs> anyway. Uh, there was a supposed letter that was left in a hotel in Promleramo uh, that was addressed to his family. It read, I have only one wish. Do not wear black. If you must conform to custom, just wear some emblem of mourning, but not for more than three days. After that, remember me in your hearts if you can, and please forgive me. Uh, So I suppose all these are plausible ideas, but here's where this goes this way. So let me throw this out there. Flash forward to 2011. It was announced that a picture that was taken of a man in 1955, Grant, and mind you, we're talking... Uh, 1938, right? So, you know, that's a chunk of time. There's a picture of a man taken in 1955 in Argentina had been found. Uh, research was done and the picture was analyzed with 10 points of similarity uh, that showed it to match Marjorana. The man who brought forward the photo was named Francis Fascini and he claimed that he, the supposed Marjorana that is reported to be the man in the picture almost 20 years after his disappearance went by the name of Mr. Beanie. Fasani said that he meant Mr. Beanie and that Beanie knew every theory and, and study that was done by Marjorana himself and could not stop talking about different scientific discoveries. Fasini also mentioned that the man refused to be photographed, and when he returned the next day to continue to talk to Mr. Beanie, he could not be found. The man in the picture, again taken in 1955, when compared to Marjorana, seemed that he did not age a day from when he disappeared in 1938. There have been other pictures throughout history where supposed time travelers were caught, you know, you can comb through the internet, you can find at least, you know, 10 very convincing pics, you know, whatever, of people that think wrong places or they completely looked out of place or whatever have you. Um, but for the sake of the argument, this case of Etora uh, Marjorana is one of the strangest because here's a guy who has a history and then seems to pop up another timeline. And the analysis of the picture that was done with authority of Rome and their own CSI team, and they don't necessarily come out and say uh, that – it's not him. And then the fact of what he was working on, the brilliant minds of nuclear theory. Um, before his disappearance, he had stated in an unfinished paper that he believed he had found where antimatter and matter could exist together and maintain a natural balance. What if he found the key? I mean, hmm. don't know. You know, so one thing about the picture, though, is kind of odd is when you talk about that 10 point, I don't know if you guys have heard that or not. Literally, when you you show it, maybe I'll throw it in the show notes, but they do like a 10 point facial feature where they draw linear lines and they Mm -hmm. match your ears to your nose, to your facial structure, to your cheekbones. Like it is identical. Identical. Is there a, can you see this photo online? Um, Yeah, actually. uh, So when you guys cover your other stories, if you want to pull it up, I would just type in. Um, and let me spell it for you real quick, too, just so you know. I would type in, and you listeners as well, uh, Etora Marjorana. So E-T-T-O-R-A-M-A-J-O-R-A-N-A. And, cool. uh, yeah, you'll see the photo. So very interesting for the most part. Um, let me see. I think I got one little thing here towards the end. Um, so when he was talking about what he found, you know, did he find the key to time travel? Uh, there was an article a month ago where scientists found traveling in a quantum computer equation, which, you know, more than a month ago, we've, we've been batting this around forever. So, you know, I mean, is it possible that he did, or he found that other level that we talked about or that other frequency to, to make it, to match it? I, I don't know. You know, again, quantum theory in general blows my mind and we're still working on it, but, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, a very interesting story. And like I said, you know, to be such a, just a talent of every single thing and then just a poof, you're out of there. You know, it was planned. If it wasn't planned, he wouldn't have pulled money out. He wouldn't have wrote letters. He wouldn't have said goodbye. So 
Yeah, I feel like if it was a suicide, he would have just left the money in the bank or like mm-hmm. tried to give it to a family member or something like that. Because if you're going to kill yourself, why do you need? You clearly don't need money, right? And if you think maybe, so maybe you thought your life was in jeopardy. I mean, that's other answer for disappearances. Mm-hmm. Well, you still want to do that. I, I mean, or maybe you. I don't know. It's just it was very disconcerting. And maybe does this go to where he was a recluse for a while and that fucked with his psyche? And he just decided, look, I can't do this anymore. I, I don't know. Yeah, all very. Interesting. So the last time, the last time he was seen was on a get boarding a ship in 1938. Correct, and never stepped foot on the shore. Hmm. He never stepped foot on the shore. I mean, yeah, I guess. I mean, he could have been thrown overboard along with his belongings. Um, possibly, maybe he did crack some crazy case, and I don't know. Whoever, it's just weird to be super secretive to go time traveling, but then like, you know, if he has an age today, I'm assuming when he popped up in 1955, he hadn't been time traveling that long. So to be talking like all about his own shit, his accomplishments, right? That's not I mean, great operational security, but you know, <laughs> well, yeah, fair enough. Maybe he just <laughs> I guess maybe he figured he's, yeah, he's it's smart. been 20 years, even if it's only been a couple of days for me. So I can talk about this stuff and it won't be that weird, but I don't know. Here we are talking about it. So obviously that didn't work. That was a miscalculation. Right. Just yeah. slight smidge. But anyway, is that the only place that anybody's ever seen him pop up as Argentina? Uh, that was, like it, the main that was one? it. Yeah. I mean, that was only, and like I said, if it wasn't for that one guy coming up saying, Hey, I meant this dude, you know, after he's watching the news, uh, you know, and he refused to be photographed on top of that. I'm curious on if, even if you go with that plausibility that maybe he did find a way, say, I don't know. Um, I'm curious, what, Mr. Beanie, like, does that mean something short for something? I don't know. I stumble on that. And I probably not. Maybe it's just he always liked the name Beanie. Fuck, I don't know. But hmm. anyway, but yeah, that's uh, that's my story. Um, you guys got any other comments on it, or can we take a break and roll into uh, your guys's? Um, no, it's an interesting story. I mean, yeah, I, uh, it makes me want to look into it a lot more for sure. Uh, it's always so weird when people just yeah, disappearances are just so so strange. It, it, yeah, they are weird. And then when you well, do the have the weird thing to it, you know, like time travel fascinates me because I'm not mm. saying it exists, but God, if it does, holy shit. You know, well, it's not impossible. You know, there's been photos in the in history that just uh, you know they've been gone over. They just can't be explained. So I don't know something to it. But yeah. Anyway, um, let's take a quick break, and we will return. Stand by, everybody. Believe in UFOs? Felt that chill up your spine that you just can't explain? Contemplate the other side of reality. Do you shake your head at the world that seems to have lost its common sense? Well, look no further than Strange Uncles. Find them on all podcast platforms and call their hotline to tell your side of reality at 801-252-6945. Open the gates. All right, and we are back. We are discussing disappearances. Um, I just covered mine. Uh, I guess which one of you guys want to kind of take the next hit here? Uh, John, why don't you go? Cool, thanks. I yeah. wanted to get and uh, not to sidetrack too much, but I just typed in time traveler photos, and I know this isn't an episode about time traveler photos. Does he pop like, up immediately? There's this picture of Greta Thunberg and like this girl from back in the past, and uh, hmm. I'm sure it's just a very big coincidence that this random girl looks like her, but interesting. Uh, yeah. That's like a spinning image. Crazy. Huh. So um, I've always been fascinated by like uh, the missing four one one David Politis, like his documentaries were awesome. And it really piqued my interest. So I was kind of just wondering, you know, how many people really do go missing in national parks and how many of them are easily explainable? You know, oh, it's a bear. He was walking in Glacier and got mauled by a bear, right. dead. Right. Um, you know, how many people actually do die in national parks? How many people like, are missing? And how many of those people that are missing, it's unexplained. So I feel like some people can go missing 
in the forest somewhere, you know, some national park. And it's like, well, he kind of wandered off here and, you know, he's probably just in some unreachable ravine. But so I just wanted to get some statistics on some of this stuff. And I thought it was interesting. So for the top three national parks for deaths, the most dangerous ones are the Grand Canyon National Park. There's 134 deaths. And uh, these statistics were taken in 2017. Oh, okay. okay. So pretty recent. Yeah, yeah, fairly yeah for sure. Huh. Um, Yosemite National Park, 126 deaths. And the Great Smoky Mountains National Park with 92 deaths. Hmm. Um, kind of a lot. Uh, but the Grand Canyon, Yosemite kind of makes sense. There's, you know, giant Yeah, lots of places to fall. Right, lots of yeah. places to fall. But for Smoky sure. Mountains, though? That's weird. Yeah. Huh. Um, and I guess in the Smoky Mountains... A lot of the deaths are from cars. What? They're not. Oh. They're not even from falls or anything. They're just like I guess people driving like lunatics and just dying there. That's, that's weird. That's even more. Yeah, that's odd. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then I was like, okay, so there's all these deaths in the national parks, and those are just like the top three. I'm like, what? What's causing these? And obviously, like we already said, there's 245 falls obvious yosemite grand canyon lots of places to slip off the edge and fall to your untimely death uh medical or natural death there's a, a 192 out of out of the all those deaths there was 192 medical or death jesus that uh, seems natural high death yeah uh. maybe uh don't go camping if you got a bad ticker <laughs> good note to self don't tell me what to do <laughs> yeah, right. and this is what i thought was pretty astounding is there's 166 deaths um that were undetermined like never like there's no reasoning they didn't find out like how. they just can't determine how they died hmm. so uh, i feel like that seems unusually high because like it seems to me that if you get mauled by a cougar or something that's Especially in this day and Easily age. explainable, you know, you trip, mm-hmm. you fall, yeah. easily explainable. So to have 166 in 2017 undetermined deaths. Um, That's interesting. Hmm. Just seems really uh, high. It seems like a high number of piss poor coroners that don't know how to do their job. I don't know. That's yeah. Well, I mean, uh, going back to you mentioned David Pilates and the missing 411 stuff. A lot of those cases are people where. Uh, when the body's found, there's no real apparent cause of death. So it's not even like someone that's really bad at their job pronouncing the cause of death. It's like, okay, this person disappeared for a few hours or a few days. And when we found their body, they weren't mauled by anything. It didn't look like they'd fallen down a cliff or anything like Mm -hmm. that. They were just like sitting somewhere random, just dead. Hmm. Yep. Wow. Yeah. Not harmed or anything. Also, there's a... This is kind of interesting. So there's no comprehensive roster of all persons who have gone missing across the national park system. And part of the reason is that the park service might not be the lead agency in looking for someone reported missing county sheriff's departments and even authorities from local municipalities might assume control of the investigations with information sometimes flowing back to the park in question. Uh, The park service does, however, record cumulative figures submitted and compiled from its regional offices. Um, Huh. So, and retired police officer, David Polites, the guy that um, is involved in like missing 411. uh, He's, he, he's, he's the man behind that. Uh, He criticizes the park, park service for not making the comprehensive list of missing persons available to the public and has chided the agency for what he perceives as its indifference towards missing people in the parks. He says, you can go into any police department in the United States and within an hour, police chief would lay down a list, he says, but the park service will not release anything comprehensive, which is that's really interesting. I I don't understand why not. Why wouldn't they have their ducks in a row? Yeah, they're not. They're either not keeping track of it very well, which is weird. That doesn't even make sense. And hmm. and if they are, they're like, I don't know why they're not being transparent about it. Well, you, you know? would think there'd be a liability thing there, right? Sure. I mean, 
Yeah, that, uh, mm, make any I sense. don't know. I mean, it's public land. Like, if you go in there, I think it's kind of a, an assumed risk. You know what I mean? I get, you know, and I'll tell you, honestly, I, so we went to, you know, we hit all the parks in Utah, real quick side story. Um, but Zion has a, so we did a tour where they run you around the corner of the park and it's tour guided, right? They got us out of the little Jeep that they had and they go, okay, you walk 300 yards down here, you'll see a slot canyon and take pictures. The guide wasn't allowed to go down there because technically she was, we were staying at a private ranch and we were just adjacent to the park. So she mm-hmm. couldn't go through the fencing. We now went down to the fencing to see this giant slot canyon. Literally, like you, you can you one step and you're 300 feet down, bashed on rocks. And yeah. guide's not there. That you know she's back. It just seemed odd. And there's people clicking pictures, and they got their feet right on the edge. I mean, it scared the shit out of me just watching people. And you know, we there was a report about um, there's another park in Utah, some trail, and I can't remember what it is now that. They are investigating it because it's dangerous and people are falling off the fucking thing because it's not safe. You know, you think there'd be some kind of a, I don't know, some kind of an insurance with this stuff. Yeah. And search and rescue is really expensive. So last year, the park service spent 3.1 million on search and rescue operations uh, last Mm. year, meaning 2017, plus an additional 314,000 on supplies and other search and rescue costs, an average of $985 per incident. In general, the agency does not charge those needing to be rescued for these efforts, which is surprising to me for some reason, because you get charged for an ambulance coming. Yeah, I mean, it's America. Yeah, it's America. Like, of course. Right. But so um, and search and rescue dashboard reveals some interesting trivia, actually. For instance, in 2017, men were rescued 1,800 times compared to 1,300 search and rescue operations for women. In 549 cases, a person's sex was not reported. Uh, almost 20% of the rescues involved people between the age of 20 and 29, and 16% of the rescues were people over age 60. Hmm. And the majority of rescue operations, 2,500, were on land versus 543 on a lake, 213 on a river, and 177 in the ocean. Wow. Hmm. And there are... Just so many cold cases of going back hundreds of years, like, you know, since the national parks were a thing. Um, And I'm on the nps.gov website on the cold cases thing. And um, also, if you have any information that could help investigators, um, contact uh, the NPS. The tip line is 888-653-0009. If you have any information regarding any missing person in a national park. Um, and I'm just going to read like the first few um, just cause it's interesting and weird. And I mean, these people, these guys seem their pictures. Like, I mean, they seem like healthy young guys uh, or, and, and women as well, but also it's the majority of these people are men, which is kind mm. of strange, but uh, James Pruitt, Missing from Rocky Mountain National Park. Date missing February 28, 2019. Uh, Pruitt was 70 years old when he went missing. White male, five, six, five feet, six inches tall, 150 pounds, blue eyes, brown gray hair, believed to have been wearing a dark blue jacket, red orange beanie style hat, blue jeans, and carrying a small camera bag with a Nikon Coolpix 900 cam- uh, camera. So Pruitt left from Glacier Gorge Park parking lot on February 28, 2019 for a day hike to an unknown destination. U.S. Park Rangers located his vehicle on March 3rd, 2019 and determined that though it had been parked overnight, no backcountry permit was associated with it. Rangers contacted Pruitt's family who advised them that Pruitt had no intentions of staying overnight in the park and they had last heard from him on February 28th. The National Park Service initiated extensive search efforts in the area, and due to a lack of clues and extreme winter conditions, the search entered limited continuous operations on March 11, 2019. Um, So additional coordinated search efforts were conducted on multiple occasions during the summer and fall of 2019. This is also a good tip is if you're going to go out hiking, Make sure someone knows yep, I was what, gonna say. what trail you're going to be on, where your destination is, yeah. where you start, you know. Yeah, like, where, when you're supposed to end up, hey, I plan on being back here, uh-huh. here. You always listen. So just to confirm, too, you're talking like his body's never been discovered. Gone. No, he is missing. Yeah. Okay. No one has ever 
found him. Um, hmm. Yeah, which just is nothing crazy. I mean, you would think, especially if you have the people that know that national park because that's their job, inside and out. Mm-hmm. Just to not be able to find vanish without a trace, and yeah. I mean, and also like I always go back to the getting mauled by an animal. You think if you get mauled by an animal, there's going to be some blood. Mm-hmm. Yep. You yep. know, we have a lot of blood, so you you could be like, oh my god, okay, there's the blood trail into this cave. So, yes, I I can attest to that. Whenever I get cut, I bleed a lot. Yeah, that's strange. <laughs> that's just strange, dude. Yeah, so um, here's another one from Grand Canyon National Park. It's so insane how many people are missing in Grand Canyon and Yosemite National Park. Like, it's the numbers are like staggering. It's just crazy. Hmm. Hmm. So in September twenty uh, September seventeenth, twenty seventeen, Zhang Yan Wan, um, he's still currently missing. Uh, Wan was forty five years old at the time he went missing. Asian male, five foot seven inches tall, one hundred twenty one pounds, brown eyes, black hair. His case info is a white Toyota Camry belonging to Zhang Yanwan of Los Angeles, California, was found at Morin Point on the south rim of Grand Canyon National Park on September 17, 2017. The vehicle was previously seen near the New Hans Trailhead. Wan had no plans in the area, and his current whereabouts are unknown. Jesus. So... And I mean, this just goes on and on and on. Um, I think the oldest cold case on here is this case from 1958, Robert Bobby Bizzup. Uh, He went missing from Rocky Mountain National Park. And there's actually been a lot of um, claims that he he was on like a Catholic church outing type deal. And he went missing when he was 10 years old. And they think that a couple of the priests that were like in charge of this outing might have had something to do with it. Oh, wow. Interesting. Um, yeah, so yeah, went missing uh, from Camp St. Malo in Estes Park, Colorado, immediately adjacent to Rocky Mountain National Park. In 1959, Bobby's remains were located within park boundaries. The cause, nature, and circumstances of his disappearance and death were never definitively established. The location where his remains were found had been searched at the time of his disappearance by personnel of the military, local police, the National Park Service, NPS, and other resources. Um, and there is currently an active, still an active investigation into the disappearance and death of Robert Bizup. He's 10 years From old. 1958. That's crazy. Yeah. That's a classic missing 4112, though, where like uh, they found his body someplace they'd already looked. Yeah. Hmm. And they can't tell how he died. Yeah. So weird. So yeah. weird. It's so strange to me when people are on a search party, tons of people and going and, over with a fine yeah. tooth comb. And then a year later, the body is in. Oh, wait, we didn't look there. No, no, we did look there. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That's crazy. So that's just a couple of them. Uh, you know, I could be here for an hour reading all of these. Well, but- yeah. So I, I got a question for you guys real quick. Um, do, re- do you remember, and this struck me back because I, I was flabbergasted looking at it. Do you remember when we took the trip to Skinwalker Ranch up there? Mm-hmm. We went in the next day. We went to get ice or something. So pull in the gas station. You know, I waited in the truck. You guys went and got ice. They got the billboards outside. That billboard was completely fucking full of missing uh, Native American women and children. Mm-hmm. Like full. Like there, there's probably 30... 30 pictures up there that were missing. Yeah. Sadly, that's you like know? a kind of a common thing, like especially near reservations. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it, it just, it just, stri- it just strikes me back. You know, it's just like how, you know, how does that happen? It's just a crazy thing. I mean, not necessarily, you know, with like the national parks, that's one thing, but just people missing in general, well, they're, they're just, you know, it, it, I'm sure there's something nefarious behind it, but uh, it's just, it's a sad outcome, you know? So anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always a little paranoid, too. Every once in a while, I'll be sleeping in my tent, middle of the night. You know, you're in the middle of nowhere. Like, we were backpacked to some remote location. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, man, this would be like, if there was some crazy man up in the mountains uh-huh. just wanting to Easy kill somebody sleazy. for no reason, I'm, like, sleeping in my tent right now. Like, I'm just perfect. perfect yeah, bait. and it's sad. You and I always like sleep that. with a hatchet next to me, just, like, mainly for wildlife. Right, right. You know, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't think there's some Ted Bundy lunatic just like chilling in the Uintas, but <laughs> well, know. but it's but happened. There has there's, been, yeah, there have been. Yeah. I'm just reading these. These two women were uh, found murdered in 1996 at their campsite, and their dog was just roaming around. Julianne Williams and Laura Winans were found murdered in their campsite in Shenandoah National Park on June 1st, 1996. Williams was 24 years old at the time. She and Winans were last seen hiking with a golden retriever named Taj on May 24th, 96. The dog was found wandering in the park and turned over to U.S. Park Rangers near White Oak Canyon Trail. Searchers found the women's bodies in their campsite off the Birdie Trail near Skyland Road. And this is still currently an active investigation. Yeah, we had that happen uh, 2004, 2005. Uh, I lived near the mountains up in Washington State. And somebody, there was a mother and daughter that were hiking and they found them dead on the trail. And they never find out why somebody, you know, they're up in the woods. They assume maybe they stumbled on like a meth lab or somebody's weird, crazy, but they were both shot right, right in the head, right between the eyes, just laying on the trail, Jeez. you know, just awful. You know? Yeah. Just, there was God. an actual like serial killer stalking campgrounds in a national forest back East in like the seventies or eighties, I think. Yeah. Not to scare you guys go camping. <laughs> Enjoy the outdoors. Hey, and now that the weather's nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so, uh, yeah, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Uh, everybody stay out of the national park. So I have more room to go. Yes. That's the <laughs> lesson that we want to teach young people right now. That's listening. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Coleman camping gear <laughs> <laughs> and peppermint and, and mace. So anyway, God, cool. Yeah. That's amazing. Some of those numbers are, are just, I mean, they're sad. They're just fucking sad. It, and, it, it's, you know? it's tragic, really. It's, it's yeah. really sad. Yeah. And, and how sure. somebody can just disappear. I, that's what just, I'm just fascinated by that. It's, it's fucking weird, man. It's just weird how somebody can be here one minute and then the next, they're just like falling off the face of the earth. There's not a sock laying around or right. a shoe right. or the t- a backpack. You know, it's just like everything yeah. you have is just gone. Yep. Yeah, well, it's the same thing, you know. You remember the old story, like the the ship of the Mary Celeste, you mm-hmm. know, that they found. They they got you know some ghost ship. They boarded it, and everything was perfect. They had plates out. They had like it was just like people just vanished. You know, yeah, there's the stove a, was allegedly still warm. <laughs> yep, yep. And there was another story, and I cannot remember. I think Netherlands back in the late 1800s, and somebody lost their boy. And he had gone to the well to get water in the snow, and they see the little footprints, and then about 30 feet from the well, they just stop, and he never showed up, and they never found him, and they, you know, a giant condor picked him up and took him away. Hell, I don't know. I, I don't, you know, you just never, what happened? You know, just stuff like that amazes me. So, yeah. well, I'm not saying it's aliens, but. But it's, it's aliens. aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> um, real quick, Josh, before we get into your side, too. Uh, on this same topic, and I texted you guys, I think, what was it last night the night before? I think it was the night before. Um, for anybody who wants, it's a really good show. Tommy Lee Jones is brand new. It's called Wander. It's on Prime Video, and it's right down exactly what we're talking about, kind of. It's got, you know, they're, they're paranoid conspiracy theorists, but they stumble on something that uh, where people literally are abducting people, changing their names, and doing shit to them. Um, in the middle of nowhere underneath this garage. Like, it's just a very, and not to be all morbid with it, but it's a very good show. Again, Tommy Lee Jones, you know, I'll watch anything that guy's in. Um, but it's called Wander, and, and it uh, it takes a bit to get into, but it's very, yeah, it, it's kind of a cool, kind of a cool little weird show for our listeners. So, guys, check it out. This is how fried my brain is today. Uh, when you first said Tommy Lee Jones, I thought you were talking about Tommy Lee from fucking Motley Crue. Oh, Jesus. The crew? <laughs> I was like, what the fuck does this dude have to do with this? <laughs> Why is he? <laughs> what are you movie? on about, Shane? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, oh, All right, what Lord. do you got for us, Josh? Oh. <laughs> what do I have for you guys? All right, so. Um. This is the story of a town whose population disappeared in Alaska. Um, and uh, this is what always comes into my mind when we, whenever we talk about uh, doing, um, talking about disappearances. Um, I think uh, maybe we were, it was during season one or something or a bit into season two when we had the idea of Initially, when uh, I thought this was kind of more of like a case of like Roanoke, you know what I mean, where uh, 
someone leaves and comes back and the entire population of the town is just mysteriously vanished. Yeah. Um, while reading and writing this. And by the time I got too far into it to change it to something else, I realized that the people didn't disappear. They just noped the fuck out of there because of weird shit that was happening. Uh, so still strange and weird and mysterious, but for completely different reasons than I thought going into it. Um, That's so, cool, you know, go where the, information leads yeah yeah for sure um so this place is called portlock um and i first heard of this town on an episode of a short-lived history channel series uh missing in alaska i'm pretty sure that's what it was called um it's a former cop uh local lore expert and everyone's favorite cryptozoologist ken gerhardt um and they go to basically investigate the alaskan triangle so um, I think you can still find it like just on historychannel.com or like uh, in the history channel vault or whatever. Um, they, uh, they only did one season. I think there's only like maybe eight episodes tops. It's, it's really interesting and fun. And um, the like former cop is a total fucking Chad and he does not enjoy working with Ken Gerhardt and their <laughs> dynamic is fucking hilarious. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so I recommend, uh, not just for the weird, but also for the weird, like kind of petty reality show vibes that it has going on. Um, but yeah. So anyway, um, here's the very short Wikipedia entry. Uh, Portlock is a ghost town in the U S state of Alaska, located on the Southern edge of the Kenai peninsula around 16 miles or 26 kilometers South of Seldovia. It is located in Port Chatham Bay, uh, which also, People refer to it as both either Portlock or Port Chatham, um, after which uh, an adjacent community takes its namesake. Named after uh, Nathaniel Portlock, the town was an active uh, cannery community in the early 20th century. The residents of the town purportedly fled en masse by 1950 after a number of unsolved murders and disappearances. Hmm. Um Establishment. Portlock was established on the Kenai Peninsula in the early 20th century as a cannery, particularly for salmon. Um, it is thought to have been named after, again, Nathaniel Portlock, um, who basically, I hate to say, discovered the, uh, the, the peninsula or the bay because there was already like a native population there. So he didn't discover shit. That, that's but, how it always goes, uh, though. Discovered it for Europeans. Europeans. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, Look, I was never here before. Yes, yeah, it was asshole. So, so they uh, mapped it out in ni- uh, 1786. Um, in 1921, a U.S. post office uh, opened in the town. Um, the population largely consisted of uh, Russian Aleuts um, or Aleuts, I mean. Um, and then around the 1940s, it was reported that several doll sheep hunters had appeared or sorry, had disappeared in the hills outside Portlock. It was also stated in a 1973 article from the Anchorage Daily News that uh, dismembered bodies of some of the missing had washed ashore in the lagoon. Jesus. Uh, these, yeah. Uh, these events led the residents of the community to flee en masse, and the town's post office officially closed between 1950 and 1951. Hmm. Um, so there are a couple more short paragraphs about adjacent communities and census stuff, just kind of the makeup of the population and, and, and everything. Um, and in the episode of the show, they made it sound out sound like it might've been bears terrorizing the town, but that it was most likely Bigfoot. So of course um, it was, why wouldn't it be? <laughs> um, and we'll get a little bit more into that. Uh, but I just thought it was funny. Like uh, they end up, if I remember right, like, I think they go to this town when they go to investigate it in the show by like helicopter or something. And they end up stranded in the ruins of this town for what <laughs> looks like it's going to be overnight. And like, of course everyone's freaking the fuck out. And, uh, <laughs> uh, it was, it was a really, uh, striking episode of the show. Like it actually stuck with me. Um, hmm. in a short, but terrific 2016 article in Alaska magazine, uh, Mike Kopak, our Copic makes a splash with this headline. Something's afoot in Port Chatham. Century old rumors persist of a terror in the mountains. Um, and it starts pretty strong. I got to admit. Uh, so to quote Port Chatham, a bay on the Southern tip of the canine, 
uh, and a former village of the same name hardly seems like a setting for inexplicable terror and fright. But a series of mysterious disappearances and deaths where the canine mountains narrow before plunging into the North Pacific Ocean uh, gave birth to rumors that began in the 1930s and continue to this day. Hmm. And the rumors all point to something are all point to the same thing. Something's not right around Port Chatham. Uh, So this idyllic location, again, discovered, quote unquote, by Nathaniel Portlock, uh, who was looking for calm waters and a turbulent sea. Um, There weren't any permanent settlements there until the early 1900s when an American company bought a fleet of fishing boats because that uh, bay is also like a really good fishing or salmon fishery um, where they're thriving in the calm waters. Um, It wasn't too long after that when things started to get weird, though. Uh, which is our favorite, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1905, the cannery manager uh, noted that all of the native workers evacuated the area due to something lurking around the town in the forest. Uh, they did return the following year, and by 1921, the town, that's when it had become kind of a quaint, thriving little fishing community, big enough for its own post office. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, mm-hmm. this was not to last. So, heyday is 1921. Um, in 1931, Andrew Kamluck went uh, logging and was found dead in the woods, killed by a blow to the head. Um, a nearby piece of logging of log moving equipment may have been used as a weapon, um, but by who or more precisely what? Ah, um, around the same time, a local elder, Simeon Kat, uh, Kvaznikov, told of a local gold miner who had headed out to prospect and was never seen again. Um, so just people just going missing all over the place in this area, hmm. um, which is pretty common for Alaska, uh, actually. I, but, I um, was going to say Alaska's, I mean, it's vast. <laughs> so I yeah. mean, there's tens of, uh, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's also Tom Larson who went out to uh, set up fish traps. He saw something large and hairy by the beach when he returned to the water's edge with his rifle. Uh, the thing continued to stare at him, and he still, to this day, could never explain. Uh, well, yeah, this was later. This wasn't in the 30s. He's still around and still can't explain why he was mm. unable to fire his weapon. Like, saw a big, hairy thing roaming around by the water's edge, ran back to his gear, grabbed his hunting rifle, comes back, has a beat on it. Like, it's he's got it in his sights, and he just can't pull the trigger. Well, he did more For than I could reason, because I don't like, think I'd fucking run back and get the gun. Throws. Yeah, well, whatever it was would smell me. Got in the truck and left. Right. Yeah. I, it would smell me because I'd have a loaded turd in my pants that it followed me wherever I went in the forest, I'm sure, after that. Right. God. Huh. That's interesting. So uh, there was a retired school teacher who taught in Port Chatham during World War II, and uh, she spoke of cannery workers who went into the mountains to hunt for wild doll sheep and never returned. Uh, those search parties found no trace of the missing hunters. Rumors sur- soon surfaced of a broken body mutilated and torn in ways that did not resemble a bear attack uh, that was washed down the mountains to the lagoon by rains. Um, some unnamed hunters were tracking a moose and came across a man-like uh, footprints larger than 18 inches in length. Um, as they closed in on the moose, they realized that uh, the large feet were also tracking the animal. They eventually came across the signs of a violent struggle. Uh, There were no more moose tracks from that spot, only the large footprints heading toward the mountains. So Mm. assuming the owner of those feet caught up to the moose, uh, overtook it, killed it, and carried it off. But like footprints, not drag marks, so strong enough to lift a fucking moose. A moose? Yeah. You'd have to be very strong. Yeah. Yeah. Like like stronger... Stronger than the mountain in Game of Thrones. Yeah, they Ten weigh... Ten times stronger than him. <laughs> I like how you yeah, reference that. <laughs> like a moose probably weighs, I'm just guessing, but uh, I'm guessing like around 1,000, 1,500 pounds. You know, yeah, like, at least. Yeah. At prob- least, yeah. At least the size of a head of cattle or the weight of a head of cattle. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, you're not just going to pick that up over your shoulders and... Yeah, and then add dead weight to that. Yeah. And uh, from what I gathered from the article, um, the signs of a struggle didn't include like uh like field dressing it you know what i mean yeah like you kill it and then you yeah, yeah. like which would get, lighten the quarter load it considerably out, right? yeah, yeah exactly like that's possible if you guys ever seen the show alive 
a dude kills a moose, but he has to like cut it up and then mm-hmm. walk miles, and it takes him a few days to like, yeah, yeah. finally get this moose back to a shelter. Uh, weight of a moose, by the way. So the males come in anywhere from nine hundred to fifteen hundred pounds, and the females come in from four forty to seven ninety. <laughs> so that's the female's a little bit more dainty, but that's still a lot of fucking weight. Yeah, I mean, maybe in my glory days, I could squat fucking. 200 pounds but not like yeah. Fucking. yeah so 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 whatever picked it up yeah okay yeah yeah no, not no even dude. not even the petite female moose <laughs> um so uh let's see in an interview that ran in the october 2009 edition of the homer tribune uh nanwalak elder melania helen kell who was born in Port Chatham in 1934, gave insight into the demise of her hometown. She explained that her parents, along with the rest of the village, uh, grew weary of being terrorized by a creature the uh, Alutique call uh, Nana... This is a hard word to say. uh, Nantinac. Nantinac. Meaning half man, half beast. Uh, she said that uh, many of the residents refused to venture into the surrounding forests and over time abandoned their homes and the village school and moved up the coast to Port Chatham. Um, only the postmaster remained in Port Chatham, but the uh, post office closed in 1950. So can you imagine like for just about 15, 20 years, you're the only person that lives in this ghost town because everyone moved out because of all the fucking weird ass creepy shit that happened. I, I, I think that's the fight right there because of all so the weird, weird shit, not because, oh man, I got a better job somewhere else. No, yeah. because of a giant half man, half beast stalking you and you're They're, licking stamps. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that reminds me of like 30 days of night kind of. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, that's, and that's the vibe you get when they, when they're uh, looking at the, um, at the ruins of the town on that episode of Biscayne, Alaska. It's, it's, yeah. it's real wow. eerie. Wow. Hmm. Um, but yeah, uh, she is quoted in the interview saying, uh, we left our house and the school and started all new here. Uh, speaking in her traditional, uh, Shug Stun, uh, through translator, Ali Ash, um, or sorry, Sally Ash. There were plenty or there was plentiful land here for gardening and people. Uh, my parents built a house on the beach. So basically everyone who was living down the coast in Port Chatham and got sick of the or Port Port Lock, they get they kind of get called both because Port Lock's tiny little village in Port Chatham's like a slightly larger town right, up the right. up the road a little ways. Um but yeah, like basically everyone was just like, fuck it, we're out and moved down the road and um which is what I always wonder why people in horror movies and haunted house situations and stuff don't just do. Um, but then again, moving is expensive. And I was about to say, in this economy, you can't just yeah. sell your haunted house and move to somewhere else. Yeah, well, and easy. it's not like they sold this shit. They just <laughs> yeah. moved. Yeah. yeah. Like, so. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it would take a lot for you, or it would take a lot for me to just abandon this house. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, it like would to have just, to be to something. Yeah. Grab my shit and be like, I'm never going back there ever again. Yeah. Like, I'm, it would done. I can't even imagine what would ha- have to happen for me to do that war, you know, just basically war. Yeah. 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 So, uh, what had frightened Melania's parents hadn't been a single event over a long period of time, quote unquote, um, uh, Nantanuk or big hairy creature was reportedly terrorizing villagers. And Melania also told of, uh, of the spirit of a woman dressed in draping black clothes that would come out of the cliffs. Great. So that, yeah, now, now you're getting real freaky. Um, her dress was so long that she would drag it. Melania said she had a very white face and would disappear back into the cliffs. Uh, turns out her godfather was none other than Andrew Kamluck, the murdered logger. Um, oh. And uh, maybe her parents had the right idea after all, you know, so it wasn't just like weird shits happening around the community. It's like weird shit is impacting our family even. You know? Right. Yeah. Right. Directly. Yeah. 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 Um, so stories continued to come in even after the town's abandonment, a goat hunter in 1968 claimed to be chased by a creature while hunting near the abandoned town. Um, in 73, three hunters took shelter there during a three day storm. Um Lots of threes there for you, Shane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they claimed that each night there was something walking around their tent on two feet. Um, like they could hear it. And they got so freaked out uh, that they ended up 
um, like kind of leaving before it was safe to just try and get out of there because they were like terrified. Um, wow. An, in another vague but tantalizing story, um, an Anchorage paramedic was called out to assist a 70-year-old native man who had a heart attack while incarcerated in Eagle River Jail north of the Anchorage. Um, so after stabilizing the man while transporting him to the tribal hospital in Anchorage, they got to talking about hunting. So it's like a bit of a drive to get from from here uh, to where they were going. So they got the dude stable. They're riding in the ambulance. He's just kind of chit-chatting with them to keep them alert. And uh, they start talking about hunting. And uh, when the Port Chatham area was mentioned, uh, this exchange took place. Uh, this is the quote from the paramedic. He said, uh, this old man sat up on the gurney and grabbed, my, and grabbed me by the front of my shirt. He got right up in my face and said, did it bother you? Well, with that question, the hair just stood up on the back of my head. I said, yes. Did you see it? Was his next question. I said, no. Did you see it? He said. And uh, then the older gentleman said, no, but my brother seen it and it chased him. Um, hmm. So they're, they're talking about the Nantanuck there. Right, right. Um, huh. And then, uh, yeah, circling back to that Missing in Alaska episode, um, it's just super creepy, man. Like, well, there's the typical, like, did you guys hear that stuff that we all have come to know and love about those type of shows? Um, there was some genuinely creepy moments while the team was investigating, especially when it looked like they were going to be stranded overnight. Like it gets real, like they did a good job with that episode. Um, Melania said that once her family moved up the coast and out of Port Chatham, uh, that the Nantanak did not follow them and they were left in peace. Uh, was there something specific about, uh, Portlock was it cursed uh did the Nantanak and spirits just like the smell of the cannery I don't know uh but it's it is pretty wild that like they move everyone left and for the most part moved up the coast to Port Chatham proper which doesn't sound like it's super far away um and, uh, and, just their, and nothing in Port yeah, Chatham like maybe that was just the Nantanak's like territory yeah, yeah, yeah like it's just like yeah get get off my lawn yeah, huh. people. This is my area. You can go over there, not here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. Exactly. And do you know if there's any weird reports in the Chatham area? Or um, well, it's all the Port Chatham area. <clears throat> oh, okay. Okay, gotcha. It's because the bay is Port Chatham. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. So, uh, so that's why that that read and that write up is a little confusing because Port Lock was the name of the cannery. And the little, little, little tiny village right around the cannery. Um, But the area at large is Port Chatham. And then there's also like a bigger town just up the road from Portlock called Port Chatham. But Mm. like throughout all of the articles I read about this, everyone kind of just refers to it as Port Chatham. So that's why you have that weird line of like, yeah, we left Port Chatham. And as soon as we got to Port Chatham, that thing didn't follow us. And it's like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) which which port to get to well and that's interesting so you know not to sidestep a bit i mean yeah this disappearance is just another aspect of it i find it funny that there's so many different names for you know what we might call bigfoot especially alaska have you guys checked out i think it's on travel channel but it's uh the alaskan triangle that's uh, they cover shit like this on that show and and it's kind of the same you're talking about alaska missing um kind of the same vibe just weird. They loop, you know, myths and legends with what they've actually yeah. seen and encounters and reports. And Alaska is just frightening. I just amazing. Yeah. Well, that um, missing in Alaska show, you would fucking love it, Shane. They like go and try and investigate harp and like pretty much everything weird about the Alaskan triangle, which is gigantic. Yeah. It's pretty area. good size. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is as big as Ireland. <laughs> no, nothing is as big as Ireland. Can you drive Ireland around it? It's the biggest thing in the planet. Ireland Ireland is the size, mass, and weight of the sun. <laughs> oh, man. Interesting. <laughs> but, you know, you can drive across it in like uh, 10 or so hours. Well, it's an anomaly. <laughs> I mean, you've been there, you know. Yeah. 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 <laughs> wow. But, uh, Crazy. No, um, I would recommend checking out Michigan, Alaska. Um, and then 
like it was kind of a cult classic. People really liked it, but for some reason they never did a second season. Like there's an entire like IDMB page dedicated to when the second season's going to get made. And it's all just like rumors. Um, so yeah, check that out and then check out uh, the show. Shane mentioned um, the Alaskan triangle on travel channel. Um, Cause it sounds like that's about as good as you, as close to season two of missing in Alaska as we're going to get. Yeah, and it's kind of a that Alaskan Triangle is kind of a hodgepodge, and again, it's like any other show out there. There, you know, it still has the same bullshit of the. Shh, did you hear that? But it's neat. Oh my god, did cover, you smell that? Right, because <laughs> they cover different aspects of it. You know, they'll cover they'll go into you know missing boats to you know hauntings of a certain town. Uh, you know, it's just kind of cool how they kind of cover the gamut across the board. Um, and maybe some of us true, maybe some of us not, but it's uh, they do a pretty good job with it. So yeah, yeah. Interesting. Thanks, Josh, man. That's wow. Damn. Yeah. So not missing abandoned. Sorry. Misunderstood the assignment, I guess, but yeah, well, it took me where it took me, but yeah. yeah. Well, and it took you to Bigfoot. So that's right. Which, you know, that's pretty cool. A a completely acceptable story for. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of our purposes, (laughs) a pot at the end of the the rainbow. Yeah. Easy. So yeah, no. Awesome. Um, Do you guys have anything else? I mean, it just, I think the whole subject matter and the, the thing is you can my god you can go down the wormhole on disappearances and history and i i mean it's crazy you know we talked about the alaskan triangle there's a bermuda triangle and there's you know airline shit they just had another airplane disappear the other day you know that's really you know gone so like you know 85 something passengers and and it hmm. i don't know stuff just always amazes me because you know sometimes hopefully knock on wood they find these people or they find the bodies or whatever have you but um, you know, like you, John, in your case, no, I mean, they're still the park, you know, the Jeeps are the trailhead and they're gone and there's no, I just, just, it's amazing. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. So anyway, but that is our disappearing episode again, season finale. Um, stay tuned in June as we kick this all back off. And, uh, we actually already got an interview in the bucket. I believe that will be good. Hopefully I didn't jinx that, but I think we'll, we'll have some good stuff in June. Um, and then any recommendations, again, listeners, you can email us out if you want to hear something, you want to be a part of something, you have a disappearing tale or you have a story of something in Alaska, whatever it may be, by all means, you can write us at strangeuncles at gmail.com. You can call us on our hotline at 801-252-69-45 and leave a three-minute message. If it goes over that, just call back. I'll splice all that together. Uh, tell us your story. You know, Let us know. Uh, how are we looking on socials? Oh, you can find us at Facebook and Instagram at Strange Uncles Podcast. On Twitter, we're Strange Uncles. We have a uh, well-maintained and often updated YouTube channel. Um, And uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Yeah, I think so. Oh, yeah. Patreon, I guess. Give us your money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Strange Uncles. Find us there. Um, and we have some cool content that uh, we don't put out for the regular listeners. And usually, I'd say every other show or so, we go over on time and we just go ahead and release that extended version on Patreon. So if we're in the middle of a topic or a discussion, uh, Patreon members get that bonus. You know, So that's always good there. Uh, also, I will be going to, and I'll probably discuss it in late June, July timeframe, but uh, I am moving back to Washington State. We're still keeping this going. I'm coming back every six weeks. We can all we're still zooming just because you know COVID's still a thing, and I had the cold. But uh, hopefully, come back. We can do those live episodes with us three, you know, in person. But uh, in June, I have tickets to go to a Bigfoot festival. Speaking of Bigfoot, about an hour away from Spokane, so kind of excited about that. They've got some uh, some I guess high end researchers that are going to speak at the at the thing. So I don't know. I look uh, forward to your report. Yeah, yes. it should be fun. Make sure you have your report on my desk at 0600. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Klinger. <laughs> so, outstanding. Um, I think that's all I've got. You guys got anything to wrap up the season? Are we good? No, Fuck let's no. wrap it up, and uh, we'll see all you strangers in June. All right. Close the gates, everyone.